0: Welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that celebrates all things related to sustainability, hosted by Rebecca and Ellie of Cornerstone Asset Management.
1: Today we're really happy to be talking to Georgia Stewart, co-founder of Tomello. Tomello is a fresh new software provider that's helping lots of people to understand which companies their pensions are invested in and providing them with a means of expressing their views on company decisions.
0: We've heard Georgia speak in a few webinars about responsible investing and have been really impressed with the positive impact she's having in financial services.
1: The four words for our What Kind of Company Does Your Pension Keep episode are connecting, collective, pension and power. All right, so Georgia, could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how Tumelo started, please?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, Tamalo really came out of Cambridge Uni where me and both my co-founders were studying natural sciences. And we were part of this campaign, I would say, called Positive Investment Cambridge. It's quite like a highbrow campaign. We weren't really campaigning on the streets, but we were talking to the university endowment about how they could be a more sustainable investor and specifically looking at shareholder action and shareholder engagement. So the University of Cambridge has got about £6 billion invested in the stock market and we were working with them to help them kind of understand and consider where that money was invested, like what fund managers they had managing their money and how those fund managers were voting on issues like climate change or gender equality or or healthcare at the individual companies and your general meetings. So it was all about how to use money for kind of positive ends and and obviously Cambridge has a lot of money and and so its investment is important.
1: Yeah, no that's really interesting. How how did you end up interested in that shareholder engagement though? Was it just a random connection or is it Well,
2: I was studying conservation and climate change and hmm. environmental stuff and you know, I think a friend from college like dragged me along to this meeting which ah. was quite boring in the beginning. <laughs> I didn't know anything about finance. My dad had always said, "Like, oh, you must go into finance," and that was not my plan at all. So I wanted to be a conservationist. But after going to quite a lot of those Monday night meetings, I did start to recognise the power that finance yeah. had. And you know, if we want to reach the sustainable development goals, or if you want to solve a world issue, you need money to do that, and loads of it. So, um, thinking about where universities, but also you know, individuals are invested, was really critical. And actually, I think really for me. It made sense i could make more change working in the sustainable finance space than i probably could as an individual kind of conservationist
0: and that's why i made that decision
1: yeah so it all just kind of clicked together yeah
0: that's really interesting actually to see uh, somebody who is a conservationist at heart kind of you know realizing that finance is a, a good place to use that and i think if we had more people who were passionate conservationists in finance that would be a really positive thing so, maybe we'll see more of that in the future one thing we wanted to ask you georgia and this is because ellie and i are having some fun of our own when it comes to choosing good names for a company or a brand um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah the name T- Tumalo, we think it's a great name um we, we've had lots of people telling us that when you pick a name for a company it must be really obvious you know what that means and why you're calling it that and, and what it says about the service and obviously tumelo is a little bit more kind of abstract but could you tell us how you picked that name or
2: Oh, well, I don't envy you trying to pick a name something. <laughs> um, yeah, we we actually were called Hedge originally. So my two co-founders, I don't know, I guess they must have thought like about a hedge fund and then decided to call it a Hedge. Anyway, that was a terrible idea. So um, <laughs> then when we did, a, you know, we raised our first round of investment. And when I say a rebrand, you know, we hired an intern from Bath Spa Uni and she did a rebrand for us. It wasn't big and fancy, but picking a name was part of that. And we went through lots of, like, four-letter... You want a four-letter name because then everyone can remember it, but they cost... I don't know, like two hundred thousand pounds to buy the URL domain on the internet, so that was out of the bag. And then uh, you want something that means something, but any individual word is already taken as well. And if you you know you can take out some vowels or Rs or whatever, but then it also becomes hard to spell. So yeah, there was just so many challenges. We ended up having kind of a million things on a whiteboard. And what I started to do was look up words that had meaning in different languages. So Tamalo means believe in the Sutu, which is the South African language and that's what we landed on we thought it sounded quite musical and not too masculine you know we wanted it to be you know quite a feminine sounding word and actually turns out people can't say it that well like everyone says it differently but then Nike and Nike you know people disagree over that and they've managed to get by so that gives me faith.
1: yeah it's such a minefield I think someone told us it's one of the hardest parts (laughs) it's it's trying to settle on the name and yeah Yeah, especially
2: when you've got multiple people involved I think I mean I don't know whether it'd be better or worse on your own but I've got two co-founders and we already had a you know a small team at that time and trying to get everyone to agree on something was just impossible Um, and you do have to agree because obviously you know it's your baby and if someone just decides to call it something different and you're not happy about it it's quite hard to get on board so yeah, that was quite an experience.
0: <laughs> that's a really useful insight. We will, we will bear that in mind. I don't think we've <laughs> quite got a million suggestions yet, Ellie, so maybe we just need to keep,
1: keep Yeah, I mean, you're not far off, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca is the queen of names. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you can afford the URL. That's the, yeah, the thing, because we find amazing thing. names, and then we're like, okay, this is the one. We wanted to call it lolly, you know, like money, lolly, and, and but the domain was like £2 million pounds
1: or something like that. So back yeah, oh, that's a really handy tip because uh, I think, <laughs> right, I think okay. our bosses might be a bit upset if we end up with a £2 million domain name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm just thinking, you, you said your, your father always said that you should go and work in finance. Was there a reason for that? Was it a surprise to you that you ended up running this fintech company for the pensions industry? I mean, you've mentioned that it kind of all ended up connecting in with your... Um, with your background in conservation. But do you wake up every day and think, I can't believe I'm running a fintech company? Or um, No,
2: that's definitely not my first thought in the morning. But I think my, my dad runs a company very, very different. He runs a marquee company. So, you know, when you like rent a tent for a mm-hmm. wedding or an event. So I had always kind of thought that I might do my own thing. And then I did work in asset management, you know on as an analyst mm-hmm. uh, in my summers at university and then also when I first when I left university I went and joined Fauna and Flora which is a conservation agency but in their kind of business department so working with companies like Coca-Cola and trying to work out how we could reduce their river pollution or whatever so I was really interested in these kind of business problems um with an environmental mindset so I think when Will and Ben were talking about kind of building an investment app or doing something for the investment space Uh, on their own he Ben's a software engineer Will was really interested in sales and trading and investment at the time I was like hang on a second (laughs) wouldn't it be great if we could um, make the investment space more sustainable and here's an idea and it kind of all formed between the three of us so I think I wouldn't have got out of bed on my own and done it but given that they were already talking about building something and I was really interested in the positive investment issue it kind of did just come together about six months after we'd all left uni and then we just dived in and then here we are too late now to change our minds. so
0: (laughs) I think it's key isn't it having people that you push each other forward and you inspire each other because doing things by yourself is it's very different. I don't think either, either Ellie or I would have ventured into being podcast hosts if we didn't have each other to keep each other going, you know. So so we've talked a lot about you um, there, Georgia, but let's talk a bit more about uh, Tumelo. And would you like to just kind of give a brief pitch of, of what it does and, you know, why it does it?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, the aim of Tumelo is really to connect an underlying investor with whoever is managing their money. So in most cases, that is a pension member or a retail investor. You know, if listeners have a stocks and shares ISA, that's you. And uh, the person managing the money is normally a fund manager. Um, And what we want is to help people understand where is their money going when they invest it in a fund or in the stock market? um, And what is that fund manager doing on their behalf to make sure that that money is invested, you know, not just for financial performance, but also for like a better outcome for the environment. Environment and for communities. So asset managers do a lot of work on this front. They, they do something called engagement and stewardship. It means they talk to companies every year, sometimes twice a year, right at the top, you know, to the CEO and the CFO. And they're talking about really pertinent issues like, um, well, company financial performance, but also things related to that, like environmental reputation and, you know, how they're treating women in their organization or what they're doing about workers' rights healthcare, the list goes on. And so fund managers have this really important role in making sure that companies are answering to their shareholders and are doing the best they can for society and and, and for their long-term performance, which you as an investor benefit from. But I guess the the role of Tomello is to connect all of that up because at the moment, most people investing in funds or in a pension have absolutely no idea where their money is going, what their fund manager is doing with it whether their money is helping the world or destroying the world. And, and we want to, to connect those dots so that people understand the power of finance, because, you know, at the moment you drink oat milk or you cycle to work or, you know, you're, you're doing small things for the environment, but actually where you invest your money and how that money is looked after is probably the most influential thing that you could do. And it's a lever that very, very few people are pulling at the moment because they just don't know that it's there or how important it is, or they think it's really difficult to make a change. Whereas actually none of that's true, you know. So that's really what Tomello is about. And we're we're a platform. So as an investor, you can log on through your pension provider or through your investment platform wherever your money is invested. And you can use the Tomello features that are integrated with your platform to see what companies have you got inside your pension or inside your ISA and um, what issues are coming up at those companies like gender or animal welfare or human rights that you might want to have a say on. And we allow you to kind of communicate with your fund manager about what issues you think are most important and why, and for your fund manager then to tell you in a really scalable kind of digital format, um, what they've done on these issues at these companies. So yeah, I guess it's kind of a communication method, but in
1: typical kind of software platform style. Yeah, no. I mean, we've seen a little demo of it, and it's have it's you, fantastic. Yeah, I would just think it's a brilliant system, and I do I do agree with you. I think it's so important that that people understand the the power their money can have, especially when you might not even realize what you're invested in or what you can what you can do, the impact that you can have. So, really valuable tool. With Tumelo itself as a business and an employer, how do you look at your own? impact on your own engagement specifically um if we ask about the s in esg what's the average age of a tumelo employee it seems like quite a young fresh business i'm guessing it's a lot less than the average financial advice <laughs> oh,
2: well probably yeah i mean <laughs> but we have some we have got quite good age diversity i think for a for a tech company we are Oh gosh, I don't actually know what the average age of our our employee base is. Is that a number I should know? But we've got definitely a couple of people over 50 and then we've got some people in their 20s and then quite a lot of people sat in their 30s, somewhere in between that 30s and 40s probably. So we actually took on, as three graduate founders... We took on experience, often in the form of age, quite early on. We needed, I think, that experience and support from software developers or from salespeople or you know, whoever had that expertise and um, kind of speciality, we needed it. I think if you've got founders who are maybe, you know, they've already had a career or they're 10 years in or 15 years in, you can maybe get by without so much of that extra experience. But it's something that we kind of try to solve for early. And also when you're raising money obviously to be able to kind of point to someone that's got grayer hair or who's kind of looks more experienced in whatever way on your pitch deck it does give investors confidence so there's upside as well to yeah it's not it's not just about what experience they actually contribute but it's also the perception and in finance yeah everyone's definitely used to seeing more experienced people on websites or whatever and and you want to give trust to the consumers you're working with
0: so having that range is important yeah Yeah, I think the reason we wanted to ask that question, though, is, you know, there's a lot of talk about the financial services industry, particularly the advice side of the industry, having an older age mindset and really needing to bring new talent through, you know, that there's going to be a big gap where there are are no people ready to kind of pass the clients on to when people retire. And I think it's really refreshing to see somebody who's younger like yourself, you know, out there talking amongst all these older people and holding your own so well. I think that's a, a real breath of fresh air. And the industry definitely needs needs more of that. So Yeah, yeah
2: well, we had to learn that quite early on with kind of because also all the investors that you're pitching to are always older because they've made their money and you know, they've had their careers most of the time. But I think also even the people who are maybe older and who work for us have got a mindset quite similar to the grads or they they have quite a like whole new world mindset otherwise it was quite a big risk at least in the early days to come and work at a company like ours and you know when before we got funding or you know when we didn't have very much money and so now it's a bit different we're more of a stable company and yeah we start focusing on the social element you know you're asking about the s and esg I think for us focusing on like female developers and kind of you know getting more female data analysts and it's the gender diversity across our team is great but it's quite skewed towards like the like sales and marketing and and product and design and all that side of things and it's the software engineering element is harder to do but you know it's changing and you know we sponsor and work with you know women's coding institutes in in bristol where we're based and yeah, spend a lot of time thinking about how to solve that problem and working really hard to make sure we have a presence I think that's probably the, the hardest thing for a small company with the diversity challenges that although actually I think our company is really attractive to to female engineers because we're yeah quite a young team impactful the team itself is actually very gender diverse it's a yeah, sustainable focus which is very attractive but We're small and we don't have a big employer brand, so people don't know to apply to us. So yeah, I guess that's something that we have to work pretty hard to counteract.
1: I I think it looks like a fun, exciting (laughs) company. I I love what you're doing. So yeah, I I think you're doing a great job and it it makes it more exciting in the industry to see things like this coming up and to see that development and that progress. Um, So I think it will attract a lot of people in the industry. And like you say, capture, capture the thinking of maybe more experienced people in the industry as well. It's great that you've got that balance there how do you find the feedback from people that are using the Tamello system how are people reacting to this improved awareness and um, yeah. the data that you've that you've been gathering
2: yeah really positive I, I guess probably one of the biggest learnings for me is how much the reaction is kind of based on education like I think we came into this thinking okay we're going to make everyone passionate about sustainable finance but actually, through focusing on sustainable finance, what we've really done is made everyone understand what a pension is. <laughs> so um, I suppose like a big learning for me is just simplification and stepping back. And actually, you know, it's not about someone making someone change what their money is about it's about them understanding that actually they're invested in Tesla through their pension or they're invested in Unilever or BP or Shell, and then starting to understand the nuances of that. Like, why would I be invested in that company? What are the challenges that company is facing? Because, you know, Tesla, for example, you know, renewable cars were fantastic, but they've got challenges in Congo where they do their mining, you know, like, and I'm just, it's not so black and white and ESG is not black and white. And I think that's, you know, part of the challenge that the industry is facing is they want to put a label on everything, which is helpful to some extent. But I think if, if you're a consumer and you don't even understand What's inside the packet? How can you understand where that label has come from? And you know, most people can't describe to you that there's a that there, a fund is made up of companies. So if you give a fund a carbon footprint, you know, people are thinking, like, how has this got sort a of carbon footprint? You know, it feels really abstract. So I think you really do need to break it down to fundamentals. And that for us has been the overall feedback is, wow, I can't believe I'm invested in so many companies, or how come my pension is invested in companies? <laughs> or um, you know, it's really interesting to be able to see that one of the companies in my pension is dealing with human rights like that's the type of feedback we get which yeah I suppose I probably wouldn't have predicted I I would have said it was more focused on the sustainability element but I think that comes in time as as users come back onto a platform for the fourth or fifth time they are then focusing just on the human rights or just on the climate change issues because they already have gone through that journey of understanding what they're seeing the fact that their pension is invested.
0: And that feeds into what I was going to ask next. I was just thinking, so if if they go onto your, your platform and they discover they're invested in these companies and there are these votes that they can take part in relating to various environmental and social issues, does that then sometimes kind of lead them to go away and actually find out about the underlying issues themselves? So they might think, okay, Tesla, that's an uh, electric car manufacturer. Why why, it, why are electric cars important? You know, what is the benefit? Do they actually end up learning more about general issues as a
2: whole? Yeah, and I think that's something that we've also trying to work out and learn the platform is how much information to include on the platform. Because if mm-hmm. you put it on the platform, people feel like they have to read it to understand the experience. And that potentially is really overwhelming so if you imagine someone coming for the first time seeing that their pensions invested in these companies and then feeling like they have to read about every one of those companies and why the company's good or why it's bad it's a lot yeah, so what know. we have seen through a lot of testing is that people will just go and google it which is great because i mean we don't have to put the content on the platform so we don't have to well overwhelm people who just want a simple like okay that's where my pension's invested. But for people that want more information, it's so easy to just you know copy and paste the vote title and look it up on Google and try and work out what's going on. And we do layer the information as well. So you know you can see a card and it says, do you think Tesla should do more on this specific human rights issue? Then you can click into that and see the for and against arguments. Right, okay. And then you can click into that and see the original like document on the public website at Tesla. And then you can click around. So if you're really curious, you can get to the information but if you just want to kind of get high level, then
0: hopefully the platform allows
2: you to move through quickly as well.
0: Yeah. OK, that, that's uh, that's really interesting. And I think um, it's such an important point, knowing how much information to give people and, and how to pitch it so that it's engaging for them. And I think that's something that a lot of uh, people in financial services tend to, to struggle with because we all have our own jargon and our, our little pet topics and it's how to make that relatable to people who, who don't really know how the world of finance works. So wh- one of the things uh, that I've read a lot in, in market research is that it's younger people who are more interested in engaging with kind of apps and platforms and online uh, interactions like this. Have you found that true? Are you finding that you're reaching a, a good kind of cross population of, of age groups? I think we're reaching solid representative cross-section. Um,
2: I would say the majority of our users, it's not the majority, but the highest proportion, like single proportion are in the 24 to 36 type range. Mm-hmm. But that's also probably reflective of the workplace pensions we work with rather than just the fact that those people like the platform. So obviously we're not going to get teenagers because they're not in work yet. And, and later on, um, maybe also there's fewer in the workforce. So I think for us, COVID also has really kind of shot those um, standards just because Mm -hmm. everyone's had to go online and everyone's had to embrace apps and QR codes and whatever else so yeah I think we can't really work on those assumptions anymore and certainly for us we we do see a cross-section and we want to be available to people who are kind of older and, and who want a slightly different experience as a result of that that said engaging young people with their pensions early on is critically important because then they have all that time to save and to kind of get the good habits in place so the fact that we do attract that millennial cohort I think is really important for our for the partners that we work with and the people who are kind of trying to reach out to those who are entering the pension stage and 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 who you know have a long time to save.
0: Absolutely true Every, every year counts I think when you're young it's very easy to think I can put this off ever but you never know what's going to happen so the sooner you can start the better if, if you can afford to then definitely yeah, yeah get started
1: yeah. and yeah to get engaged with all those issues yeah. I mean you must have sent out a lot of information about voting relating to so many different companies and different issues what's been the most interesting issue so far or what's been the hottest potato I guess <laughs> could be Tesla uh, yeah <laughs> so
2: it's a, it's not a straightforward question because users engage with both the issue and the company mm-hmm. so i bring up the tesla example because people are really obsessed with tesla you know it's it's like a meme stock so so it's probably I don't know if the stats have changed recently, but for a solid six months last year, Tesla was the highest voted on vote, which is not just because they had human rights votes and environmental votes, but also because of the brand. Um, Mm. That combination is really powerful. But similarly, there was a Procter & Gamble vote on deforestation. Um, It was really looking at um, P&G, their big consumer goods company. Maybe you have razors from there or shampoo or soap from there. And they... um, uh, we're being asked by shareholders to look at their supply chain and and aim to reduce some of the deforestation that was that was occurring as a result of like pulp um that they were using in some of their products and that actually got voted through by all of the shareholders, like fund managers and others who were voting on that issue. And that was kind of a landmark event because it's not super common that deforestation is quite niche, like biodiversity votes get um, pushed through. But the increase in thinking about biodiversity among the fund management community is massively increased. So it was great to see that line in the sand about... This being normalized and, you know, fund managers standing up for biodiversity and pushing their companies to do better on that. So for me, that was probably one of the best votes because it also had a really positive result. Um, but guess, you know, we've really had all sorts. There was one on the platform this month about McDonald's and their Use of antibiotics in their food su- meat supply chain. Um, looking at the fact that you know they obviously do lots of factory farming, or they cause lots of factory farming, and often antibiotics are you know provided to the animals to keep them healthy. But you know maybe we're facing a bit of an antibiotics crisis, and and you know it could look a bit like the COVID situation if we ended up with you know I guess. You know, with, with the situation where antibiotics weren't working well, so that was also a really popular vote on the platform. And that's kind of not only is it a big issue, not only is it a big company, but it's super topical given that we're currently going through a healthcare crisis. So a combination of all those things makes votes kind of move up the ranks on our platform. Mm-hmm.
1: It must be so so reassuring to see to see people engaging and to see these votes going through, and especially like Procter and Gamble one as the conservationist part of you it must be so so pleasing to see that that really work
2: well yeah and I mean the the fund managers that are voting you know they sometimes at least the American big kind of passive players can own six seven ten percent of these companies their decision swings the boat but then all these other fund managers also kind of clubbing together yeah and then the board the board answers to shareholders and we are the shareholders so you know they have to create a change in that space and so you know you you could run around as a conservationist for for years on end trying to make that impact and obviously it's really important that we work from both ends from the top and and from the bottom but i think Maybe it seemed more obvious to work in the kind of grassroots conservation projects because you're you're closer to it and you're really passionate about that, but actually creating that small change maybe from the top down has a huge effect when you're talking about organisations that have global supply chains and huge footprints um, on water or on forests or, you know, whatever the issue is that we're thinking
0: about. And I think that's what's one of the the great things about sustainable finance is that, it does bring people together and pool their resources, doesn't it? Because as you say, there's a limit to what one person can do. But if you become part of a fund with your colleagues or just with a, a bunch of random other people, and all of a sudden, you know, you're part of a really large influential pot of money that, that can then have an influence it, you know, that's a really powerful thing. So,
2: yeah, um, it's just trying to communicate that because most yeah, people don't get that well, and that's a hard thing to communicate when someone doesn't understand what a stock yeah, is. Yeah. As um
0: well. one thing i wanted to mention georgia just without going into any details but I, i'd seen something on on linkedin that that you'd had um somebody had kind of reacted less favorably to to the kind of concept of what tumelo Chum- does and you know that's a, just one lone voice you know I've, I've read lots and lots of really positive things as well um and they were kind of suggesting that perhaps uh, you know it was over inflating the power that individuals have or somehow yeah. misleading them about it and, and you you kind Kind of argued against that really well, which you know that was that was great, and I fully supported what you said. um But how, how have you found generally that you know the investment and in fi- finance industry has reacted? To, I mean, you're obviously doing something quite different and, and new. Have you found that the reaction has been favorable on the whole, or has there been some resistance? Or
2: yeah, and I would say on the whole, really favorable. I mean, it was bound to come at some point that someone was like, "Hang on, like is this a good idea?" Yeah. I think. Um, that providers are really excited about being able to engage their customers more you know most people don't know who their pension provider is so we can really help create that connection fund managers can get insights on their underlying customers for like the first time ever you know they're probably used to hearing from trustees but actually being able to give them this data so from you know the people who are actually putting money into the system should be really valuable and also help them to think ahead and align the way that they're voting with the people who they're kind of representing and distributing money for i think that you know richard's comments were were fair to bring up that kind of concept of you know are we overinflating an individual's power because really individuals are not very powerful and mm-hmm. um, because it's it's you know people further up the chain that making decisions for them mm-hmm. but that's how the situation is right now and unless you make an individual feel like they could have power they could be empowered, then they're never going to ask for that power. You know, it's like you have to start with education and, and kind of build it on. So we're really careful to make it clear to users that the fund manager is the one that's voting and you know, you're sending your opinion and they were going to listen to it or not. And then we tell them, did they listen? Did they, did they do something else? Why did they do something else? Because mm-hmm. often there's a good reason. So I guess we're not over promising anything to someone. But I guess I, I, what I think is really important is that they do understand the potential power of their money and if we keep kind of underplaying it and saying you know just put your money away and don't think about it then we're relying on a very few individuals to, to kind of that are currently educated and high up in the financial system to make decisions on behalf of everyone else and you know that potentially or has not worked super well over the <laughs> over the last kind of 50 years in some cases you know you have got leaders certainly in the asset management industry and among trustees where you know, people are really forward thinking and they care about not just performance but also you know how we can improve performance by having you know healthier communities and environment that you know we as pension members are investing for 50 years and so you know we ought to be thinking about um you know what are the social and environmental outcomes and, and if our if those investing on our behalf can't prove that they're doing that then we have the right i think to ask questions so yeah i guess on the whole to answer your mm-hmm. question short sure, I feel like I just went round in circles there but um <laughs> no, the, no it's yeah. a good answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah the response has been really positive from people across the board but you know as you said at the beginning the the investment industry has got a lot of people who have been here for a long time and have been doing things in very specific ways for a long time and obviously we are rocking the boat ever so slightly
1: yeah, I, I love that answer. I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. And that that communication and the education that you're looking at, that takes a while to build up, yeah. I suppose, as well. You know, changes don't don't just happen overnight. I think, well, we both feel that the language of the investment industry and the language of issues such as climate change is, is quite often quite complex and it can be confusing and filled with jargon, especially if it's something that you're very new to. Can you tell us a little bit about how Tomelo employees use a friendly language to engage with investors?
2: Yeah, gosh, I think it's so important because even like our company pension and we've just switched to... um, Cushion because they released their net zero pension but even then you know my company people in our team are saying so what does net zero mean in this case like how is that working and I'm thinking gosh like if we can't even answer these questions <laughs> how do you expect the average person to answer these questions and obviously Cushion have webinars and stuff that explain it but um yeah there's definitely a problem in the industry with jargon mm-hmm. um we are just, I guess, first principles, keep everything really simple. Hardly ever use financial language. Even something like a shareholder meeting, like we have to make sure that that's completely explained so that someone understands what it is. But, but for the most part, we just try and shy away from using any of that language because if you have to explain it every time you use it, that's even worse because you just make sentences longer. Um, so we try and just take things back to topical issues, brands people know and um, you know issues that are important are emotional and I guess going back to people's values and their emotions as much as we can so that we can kind of trigger them to then dig a bit deeper and um, if you try and give them everything up front then yeah it really is not going to work. Um, we try and talk a lot about kind of collective power because people do recognize they're just one in a million and, and so you know we want to address that head-on um, but on the onboarding flow we think about like all the different stages so when someone is they receive an email that's going to tell them they're going to get access. And in that email, we kind of start to describe a pension in a fun way. We'll be like, hey, do you know you've got Netflix in your pension? Do you want to find out how that works? And then they can read a bit more. And then the next email that asks them to register will say, like, "Hey, did you know Netflix is dealing with this gender issue? Come onto the platform to find out what that is. And then when they get on the platform, we have like a three-step process that says, you know, do you want to find out what companies your pension's in? Or do you want to find out what votes these companies have? So people can start to kind of form through that decision tree. They're working out all the different steps. And yeah, we think a lot about the user experience and then the language we use within that Uh, But we've got a great woman, Helen, who does our content and she's so hilarious. She was writing emails last week about, I think it was Google's whistleblowing policy and somehow managing to link it to Line of Duty and like, yeah, it's it's great. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's brilliant. And yeah, obviously the language is so important, but I think what you do is quite visual as well, isn't it? You make sure all the company logos are in there. I mean, that's instantly recognizable to people and I guess really helps link up what's going on. I think that that you've
2: just pulled out is probably the single most important thing about our platform is logos. (laughs) I don't (laughs) want to oversimplify the great work that we do. but (laughs) But (laughs) If you just sent someone an email with logos and we're like, this is what your pension's invested in, everyone would understand 500 times more than they currently do. (laughs) Um, So yeah, tip for anyone building pensions benefit statements out there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's it's a great idea you know sometimes something so simple is the best it makes me think of that board game as well what's it called it's the where you guess all the logos at different companies I don't know but I wouldn't That's... be any
0: good at that but I remember, I remember <laughs> it's surprisingly ago. difficult <laughs> I remember years ago when my children were small and we went on holiday or something and they had a you know like a quiz or something like that and there was a, a section on logos and my ten year old son just like absolutely destroyed everybody else <laughs> in the quiz. You know, we can answer any of the other questions, but but yeah, young young people I think you know they like their brands, don't they? And they kind of recognize the, the logo instantly. But yeah, completely yeah um one thing i wanted to to raise georgia just because it's kind of a theme for for us on the podcast at the moment obviously we're based um in glasgow and edinburgh cop 26 is on the horizon and just down the road from where we are do you see um that th- this year is going to mean everything being a lot more about climate change rather than everything else and do you have anything that you're kind of positioning yourself uh the business uh, in relation to cop 26 to kind of have any campaigns related to it or anything like that or
2: i've just written down an action point cop 26 think about what we can do there
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I have to say, I
2: mean, obviously we had plans last year and then it got postponed. Um, so is it going to be about climate change? It's kind of always about climate change, I feel, climate change and biodiversity. But this year has definitely put more of a focus on social well-being and healthcare, I think. Pandemic. But I don't think it's necessarily kind of killed the climate change debate. I think it's just made everything <laughs> more important together. Um, all of the ESG issues and, you know, even it's even shone a light on CEO pay because, you know, companies that were furloughing people have increased CO pay and everyone's going, well, that doesn't quite make sense. So all these things are obviously super interrelated and it's just about know, running companies well and not just for the benefit of short-term shareholders. I think in terms of things that we'll be doing. Hopefully we can kind of get some speaking opportunities around COP26, but I'm from Edinburgh, so it's pretty exciting. It's being held in Scotland and yeah, I imagine we'll be doing something in relation to that. Hopefully we can feature some climate votes. I guess for us, we um, are slightly dictated by what content is on the platform and we don't make it up. So mm-hmm. if a shareholder puts forward a climate vote and it happens to be in November then we can shout about that but sometimes you know the votes on in November will be about social issues or something else and so we obviously because we just mirror what's actually being dealt with at that company at the time it's hard for us to skew content that would be nice but yeah we can. <laughs> and and personally
0: of- Georgia how, how confident do you feel or hopeful optimistic or whatever the word might be about um, COP26 and climate change and whether we can we can beat this thing you know. Yeah, I think, oh, I guess
2: I'm just thinking back to all my kind of university courses <laughs> and obviously it does depend how you come at it. We're, we're going to achieve something better than doing nothing. The question is, you know, if you if you um, buy into the argument about planetary boundaries and going over a certain edge, are we going to get there? And, you know, I, I think there's quite a lot of evidence behind those arguments. So we probably should be thinking about, um, you know, where is the line and there is actually a line that we can't cross I'm, gosh, I'm on climate change, am I optimistic? I think depends on the day. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think the financial system has got so much opportunity and it just feels to me like everyone has woken up. I mean, even, you know, Larry Fink, shouting about it and you know if you're going to put out public statements like that someone's going to hold you to account eventually and so you know even if they are not going to turn around and do it immediately at BlackRock like they're going to have to follow what, what he's been saying and you know they're one of those brands that owns 10% of the S&P 500 the biggest companies in America and they're the ones that are going to have an impact so yeah I think there's I mean it's interesting what the like fallout of COVID will be in some of the developing worlds because although we can get our eggs or our ducks in a row, sorry. Um, in the Western world, it's not really about that anymore. I think it's so much of it depends on developing economies and, you know, how they deal with energy and energy security. And, you know, we have to do it in a way that the transition in a way that's just, and that's why the ES and G are all important. You can't just go hell for leather on renewables in India because you're going to end up with like a, destructed, um, a destroyed healthcare system there or, um, you know, lack of education and that kind of thing. So I think... Yeah, I guess finance um, sorting out finance in the West and, and making sure that the right investments are being made in the developing economy, obviously, is super important. And it's cool to see in the pensions industry now, I'm not involved really in the kind of asset allocation discussion, but more discussion about um, you know pension money, long term, large assets being invested into infrastructure and more of the private markets, because mm. You know that's probably where we'll have to make those investments if we're going to create enough change you know in line with the sustainable development goals and investing in more renewables and that kind of thing i don't know if that was a very concise answer i don't know <laughs>
0: how optimistic <laughs> i am um, We weren't, you know we weren't expecting <laughs> you to come up with the with the solution for climate change yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um yeah we're just interested yeah. to see how you felt because obviously you do have a certain uh, extent of, of knowledge on the subject from your studies and, and your professional uh-huh. role as well so um yes yeah, so you have to do that one don't you yeah lots of work to do yeah yeah That was a bit mean, Georgia, asking you to judge whether we're going to fix climate change or not. Um, And before we can let you go back to your busy schedule, uh, we also need you to share your thoughts with us about reduce, reuse and recycle.
1: Every week, we like to find out a little bit more about our guests by asking them what they would like to reduce, reuse and recycle. From serious problems on a global scale to little personal niggles, we ask them to pick out three things they want to see less of, more of, or change. Okay, so Georgia, if you're ready, the first R is um, what would you like to reduce?
2: So I think this is going to come in time, but I'd like to reduce the amount of repotting that I'm doing. I went like mad on gardening last year, and I'm obviously doing the same this year. And I'm so fed up with spending my Sundays moving a small pepper plant into a bigger pot, into a bigger pot. So I'm really excited that things are now in their final pot. I'm gonna have to reduce the amount of repotting that I do on my weekend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's quite time time absorbing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So what have we got next? Reuse.
2: Oh yeah, this is a weird one, maybe I didn't, then I was thinking if this was a faux pas for gender equality, but I've moved in with my <laughs> partner in, in London, and he does all the cookings, I hate cooking, and so but he also is in the office at the moment, so I'm doing quite a lot of the washing, it's just like the agreement that we have, um, and I wish he would reuse his clothes more, because everything goes in there, and it doesn't need washed, and it's really frustrating me, so that's where I'm at on my reuse. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, he cares about gender equality. Yeah. We both have that problem. I I think there's many women that have that problem. Our husbands both do the cooking as well. So um, there's got to be a trade-off, sadly. (laughs) Okay. And finally then, Georgia, recycle, please. OK, well, this is actually more of a sustainability one,
2: but I go through oat milk like there is no tomorrow. And I just feel like there should be a system where you can return the carton to the store and get refilled because I'd be really happy to reuse my oat milk cartons. It's not even a real dairy product, but I did just fill up my recycling bin and on the street, all I can see is my oat milk carton. So <laughs> I guess that's a call for someone out there to work out how we can have a refill system for yeah,
1: I know there's a great shop in Edinburgh and they do that, but with dairy, I don't know if they do it for oat milk or any any other um, products like that. I know they definitely have a, a dairy refill system. But
0: um... Actually, I mean, my daughter uses oat milk and I usually end up doing the recycling rather than her, though, and I always get confused because are you supposed to take the plastic bit out, like tear it out and then put that in the plastic and the rest in the paper? I'm never quite sure how you how you recycle those kind of containers
1: oh my gosh I also haven't I've just no, put the whole thing
0: into that as a tip early we'll research that one I
1: know recycling obviously a great thing to do and makes us feel better but I think sometimes they don't realize how complicated it is and what actually can and can't be recycled it's a bit of a minefield yeah I always um, just figure someone's going to deal with that at some and they do they point. do <laughs> Yeah. i know it's a tricky one <laughs> right mm-hmm. note to self then we'll research yeah. <laughs> an episode on recycling maybe <laughs> yeah
2: yeah refills.
1: <laughs> i feel like someone should put in
2: a
0: note to blackstone and maybe that's not their priority at the moment <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks very much Perfect, for, for yeah. coming on, Georgia. It's so interesting to hear um, more about the business and, and about um, yourself and your motivations as, as well, uh, as we do think that both yourself and Tumelo are a, a huge breath of fresh air in financial services. So so well done. We'll continue to, to follow the journey with interest. So, Thank you very much for
2: having me. This is a very enjoyable podcast. I hope <laughs> they haven't, yeah, just been off on one with my answers. But um, anyway, yeah, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you. We would like to thank Georgia very much for sharing her time with us. If anyone wants to find out more about Tumelo, just Google their website, www.tumelo.com. That's T-U-M-E-L-O.com.
0: We really like to mellow because it offers investors knowledge, transparency, and a chance to have positive influence. If you feel this is something that you are lacking with your pension or investments, please get in touch with us at podcast at cornerstoneam.co.uk. Our Responsible Futures portfolios are linked to the UN SDGs and invest in companies that aim to make the world a cleaner, greener, fairer place for everyone. And we are always happy to answer any questions you might have about sustainable investing.
1: None of the content of this podcast is intended to be a recommendation for investment. If you invest in any form of asset-backed investment, values will go down as well as up, and you may not get back the full amount invested.
2: The Forward Thinking Podcast was hosted by Ellie and Rebecca and sponsored by Cornerstone Asset Management, an award-winning Scottish financial planning firm who have created the Responsible Futures Sustainable Investment Portfolios. You can find the podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we will be posting details of future episodes and guests. Just type in four-word podcast, F-O-U-R-W-O-R-D, podcast. And the first issue of the Forward Thinking newsletter is coming Friday the 13th of November. Featuring articles written by the team and behind-the-scenes information on the
0: podcast, keep your eyes peeled on our social media channels to find out where to sign up.